Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Miss Amanda Chen Show. If you've been following this podcast, you know I've just passed the halfway point in my 100 Mass Men series, where I anonymously interview men from all around the world, asking them to look inward, talk about tough subjects, and express themselves in open and honest conversations. Season two has been a very introspective series with a huge focus on mental health. It comes at no surprise that I would find another woman on the mission to help men's mental health. Today, I had the opportunity to sit with Amanda Bender, founder of Kilo, an app designed to track men's mental health, and we discussed the importance of a woman's role in this space. I hope you enjoy the show. So in 2019, I was working with a wonderful friend who has a company for women called Birth It. And she and I were talking about doing an app for women, depending upon where a woman was in her cycle, we would give predictive um, fitness programming. Like if you're in this part of your cycle, maybe yoga is better for your body or strength training, nothing or a walk. And I started doing a lot more research on period tracking apps. And something I noticed was that in period tracking apps for women, they ask like a set of qualitative markers on a daily basis. Like how is your libido? What's the quality of your sleep, your mood, your sociability? And I realized that these qualitative markers are very important to mental health. And a lot of these apps were only using that data to predict PMS or to predict like ovulation and then periods. And I was like, you know, I think men could benefit from these qualitative markers because they're not gender specific or sex specific. And then I just started thinking more about uh, my guy friends for most of my life. My closest circle of friends have been men. When I was younger, I don't think a lot of people like this term anymore, but I was a tomboy. You know, I loved to play with the boys and just kind of get dirty and not until much later in life did I like find a better balance of my like feminine and masculine energy but I oftentimes would have conversations with my guy friends actually one of my really good guy friends Bo and he'd be like oh I just like traveled to this place for work and then I kind of didn't have a great interaction with my girlfriend and I only slept five hours last night and then I ate like a burger and I feel like shit and I'm like, yeah, because all of this qualitative data together actually informs your day to day and how you feel on a daily basis. And he's like, you're magic. I'm like, I'm not magic. I'm just thinking about how all these qualitative um, markers actually roll up into mental health. So then um, shortly after I was working with my friend, I um, was up in San Francisco talking to a friend up there. I said, hey, do you like, you know, do you ever ask yourself or do you track or do you journal like how you're doing on a daily basis? And he's like, well, I talked to my wife about it, but not really. And I said, would you ever be interested in tracking qualitative data? And what I mean by that, again, is like the quality of your sleep, the quality of your work, the quality of your relationships. He's like, yeah, guys need that. You should call the app. Don't be a dick. <laughs> and we just think that we had like a giggle and we just really connected on that point. And I was like, okay, this is like a tiny, 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 tiny seed. So my background is in therapy. I had a private practice as an intern after grad school for a year um, in Southern California. Being a therapist was quite difficult for me because I am an introvert and so I was spending a lot of time alone or just with clients. It wasn't the best fit for me. And I was teaching undergraduate psych at the time. So I decided to take a job in neuroscience research at a UCLA lab. We studied theory of mind with patients with long-term mental illness like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And I did 
clinical interviewing, um, which I really enjoyed. And I thought I wanted to be an academician. But then I had a partner who worked in tech and he said, I think you might be good in tech. Like you're good at talking to people. I was like, who the fuck is going to hire me? I've been like 10 years in my career. He's like, I don't know, you'll figure it out. So um, I feel like a lot of people don't talk to their like friends or partners about like deeper things sometimes, you know, like maybe they don't want advice, but I've really found sharing with the people that I'm close to, or even like you, you and I have talked a lot about work and what we want to do and what we're excited about. And that's how you feel like the best idea generation happens, surrounding yourself with people who actually want to make each other better. And he was a person like that. So anyway, he sparked something in me and I took a class at UCLA in agile project management and I didn't really like it. But um, the professor said, hey, you might be interested in data science. And I was like, yo, I'm not going back to grad school. (laughs) Like I've already spent 18 years plus in the education system. Like, no, thank you. I'm not trying to deepen the pockets of the financial institutions at this moment. Anyway, so long story short, then I did make the jump into tech six years ago. And um, when I was talking to my friend in San Francisco, I was like, I could do this. Like I have a background. I I kind of understand technology. I mean, I'm not a technical founder, but um, so then I did some pilots in 2019 with two groups of men, very small manually via SMS. They recorded data on a daily basis because I'm quite a realist when it comes to understanding product market fit. And it gave me enough of a... a zing to want to go on. So I founded Kilo in 2020, the beginning, right before the pandemic hit, especially as a female founder, uh, starting a company for men's mental health. I really believe women can help usher in some change for men in the mental health space. Um, Women very much, I'll say a lot of women talk about their emotions and the first thing we talked about when we got on this call was like, how are you doing? And it's not just like, I'm good. You know, it's like, oh, I'm feeling this way, you know, I'm in Mexico now, and this is how I feel in Mexico. This is how my mental health is. And um, started the company in January and realized that, in my personal opinion, a lot of men need a very simple foundation to start understanding more about themselves and how to become self-aware. I've heard a lot of my female friends and some guy friends say to their friends, like, go to therapy or like get a coach. And a lot of times we need a stepping stone between that. Like before my clients would come to therapy, usually they would try like a plethora of other things, right? They would journal, they would maybe go to some sort of groups to talk about, and then eventually they would go to one-on-one therapy. So knowing that, I'm like, how do we roll that back to a foundational level to help men feel more comfortable asking themselves, how am I doing today? Reporting on it. That's why I made Kilo the app, reporting on it, and then getting some sort of feedback, like a data visualization, and then insights about that data from a holistic perspective. Like, how is your head, your heart, and your body doing? So that's what I'm doing at Kilo. And I think women can help usher in that change and be very supportive 
supportive. I was talking with a guy friend yesterday who said, yeah, like a lot of men, when they start their journey into becoming more self-aware and insightful in order to improve mental health, they only want to talk to men because they feel safe. And I was like, yeah, we also got to change that stigma because as you and I have talked about, like women oftentimes already feel quite comfortable talking about emotions and mental health. So I think we can crack open the door a little more and say, hey, we're here to support you. And here's something you can start with, like this simple daily check-in for your mental health. I kind of think about it like brushing your teeth or flossing. Like when we learned, I'll ask you this, like how did you learn how to brush your teeth? (laughs) Right? Like it comes with practice. I mean, I had to learn from my parents. I had to use like the toothpaste that you can swallow, right? In the beginning and then slowly, slowly move on from there. I think it's really interesting how you're, putting together the idea of like the, I mean, it's, it's very masculine to think of this way, but like logical data where like facts are facts. Mm. You can't really disagree with facts. Whereas with feelings or, you know, sensitivities or anything like that, it kind of goes into that feminine energy of like, oh, someone's just being overly emotional or she's being emotional or, or anything like that. And yet, I mean, if you think of most like hetero um, relationships, most of the time men confide in women. And at the same time, there is that fear of confiding in women because she is now empowered with all that ammo of his vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. right? And I think Mm -hmm. when he wants to then change, he's afraid to do so without her, you know, or he has to go seek all of these other peers that feel the same way. But if other men are not speaking about it either, then you do feel really lonely in that sense, right? Whereas I think with women, we have had all of these apps and trackers and just our own communities to enable us to continue that conversation with or without a significant other. And I think that's that's the the real separation that men need to to have to finally begin their own personal journey. Yeah, I I agree. And yeah, we learn to brush our teeth because someone told us. And then we're like, oh, as we become like young kids, maybe like 10. And then we learn in our teens that like, okay, I got to do this myself. And then we go off to university or people travel, you know, whatever they do after high school in the US and you keep brushing your teeth because you know, it's good for you. And that's how I think about Kilo and men's mental health. Because when I talk to investors or when I talk to some other men, they never say this is a bad idea, but what they say is like, how are you going to get men to do it? They're lazy. And I'm like, well, first of all, the more we say that, the more we're manifesting that social norm, that men are lazy, they're not going to do this. And so I I say that, like, how did you learn how to brush your teeth? Oh, like my mom or my dad or my sister or like a, a caretaker taught me, you know, depending how the person grew up. And I'm like, yeah, and then why did you keep doing it? Because I realized it was good for me. That's how I think about Kilo and like helping men enter, usher them into this next Um, space that I call the qualified self movement. There's a lot of apps for men that are focused on physicality, like be stronger, have a fucking six pack, like get calf implants, like all of these things. (laughs) Like, okay, it's important. Physical health definitely affects your mental health. I will never deny that. I'm never going to get into an argument with someone about it. I know that it does. But there's more beyond that for men's mental health apps. There's been an influx of men's mental health apps on the scene, but none of them are speaking to men and none of them are designed specifically for men. And they need to be simple, right? Like we need to start again at that foundational level. And so 
Tara and I designed the app to be focused like on a cool design because if we're going to ask men to change behavior, which we know even for ourselves is quite difficult, it takes approximately 21 days, then we have to make it at least something that you want a guy wants to look at every day. And that it's a simple check in no more than like a minute so that we can start somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. What are some of the qualifiers that you put into the app that you got really good feedback for, or maybe bad feedback for, or just surprising insight from so far? The first thing I heard from the pilot groups was that two things. So we sent SMS reminders daily from Kilo and the guys said at first, they thought that would be annoying, but what they started to realize over time that Kilo became their friend. So they themselves anthropomorphized Kilo, which really led me to think about longer term how kilo can become a guy's like friend and ask like hey how are you doing like oh you had a shitty day like remember to tell someone you love them or like call up a friend and see how he's doing or like you know pet a dog I don't know like things that are really important um so I was surprised that they said that that was really important Also, they said the check-in, like stopping and thinking to themselves, how am I feeling today for 30 seconds to a minute was more valuable than they thought it was going to be. And I hadn't really thought as much about that aspect. I was more focused on like what Kilo could give back to a guy, like the data visualizations and the insights and just kind of forgot about how useful, like a minute of stopping, being quiet, you know, slowing down the mind to check in and be like, you know, how am I doing? Those are the two things that were pretty surprising to me that the SMS became anthropomorphized and that the daily check-in was something that the men really valued. Well, I think that's interesting Um, because we're so used to like active thing, like you have to actively input your numbers versus this is more of a passive thing where like you're getting those reminders that are coming at you and you just have to respond to them, which is just a low, lower barrier of entry. And I think that's probably helped them increase that, that habit and, you know, make them more committed to that habit because there isn't that like constant need to have to perform, which would be contrary mm-hmm. to those other types of apps, right? Yeah. And I think there is just so much uh, push notification saturation. You know, you have your social media, you have your SMS, you have your news. And if Kilo can, you know, slide into the SMS, and we asked users to save the phone number as Kilo. So it became a lot more like a friend. And those are the things that I think about from a human behavior perspective is we are kind of cyborgs in a way, you know, because we have our phones all the time. We have our laptops are very connected to our tech, but how can our tech be non-invasive, but helpful? Like I have no desire for Kilo to be an addictive dopamine push. I have Kilo, you know, I want Kilo to be desirable because over time men are learning more about themselves. Like they are doing the work. That's part of the problem with a lot of like mental health apps is like the mental health apps want to do most of the work for men. And there isn't a lot of ask on the other side. And sometimes people are like, again, like, oh, men are lazy. I'm like, if we don't ask people to be better humans, they're not going to fucking be better humans. Like, it's time to stop accepting that this is this like kind of lower level functioning of mental health for men is okay because it's at a crisis point. 
men kill themselves three and a half times more often than women. I mean, that's insane. And most men die by heart attacks due to stress-related things like work and burnout because men feel lonely, they can't talk about their feelings. Like, we don't have to design a robot to help with that. We don't have to design like these really potentially more difficult things. We can just ask men to check in daily. But that in a, in a sense, you know, some feedback is like, well, that's really hard. Well, why is it so hard? Again, why if we stopped putting that out and manifesting that and making that the social norm and start saying like, actually, this is going to be easy and this is how we're going to do it. Like, I very much meditate on like, I live in an easy world and my life is easy. That doesn't mean that I don't work smart and that I don't curate my tasks in a way to move me forward. But I think we have to think about men's mental health in this way too. Like, it's not hard. It's not complicated. It can be rather easy if people switch their mindset. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like demanding change can sound pretty aggressive just because it's a change from what things used to be. And I think that's everyone's cop out. Like this is just the way it's been. So let's just keep it that way. But then if you see the cost of an action, right? Like how detrimental it is to the rest of the world of remaining in the stagnant space, then why not do that change? Especially if it's such a low barrier to get there. And we have to change that mindset. And I think it's been crazy. I've had all these interviews with these men and they're just like, well, this is just how I am. I've accepted it. I expect everyone else to accept it like this. And, you know, there is that duality of how would you say to someone that's like, okay, I'm just this way. I'm just going to forever be this way. I've accepted it. I've accepted my demons. This is what I am versus why not be better? Why not aspire for that? And I remember always talking to people saying like, don't you think that there's more to this world that like you don't need to settle for the version that you are today? And a lot of people are just like, well, no, I just, I just want to like get by and survive. But then what is the point of just existing throughout this lifetime? when you can actually make that impact. And I think, I don't know what it is, but I think it's really interesting that women are pushing that or have always pushed that, but there is that level of aggression, you know, and I think because men have only associated women's interactions through a romantic sense, you know, when she's like, oh, how are you feeling? But really, how are you feeling? And, you know, it's in this like aggressive way. And it's like, I just don't know how I feel because I can't communicate that. And it's just like, rather than that being defensive and rather than that being like, oh, she won't accept me for who I am. It's like, no, like literally just, just communicate finally. And, you know, yeah. I, it's, it's hard for sure. We're not saying it's not hard, but is there a way that we can kind of meet in the middle? Yes. And I think when men say, I don't know how I'm feeling, it's not bullshit. <laughs> I kind of think about it like this sometimes. So I'm living in Mexico. My Spanish is okay. And sometimes people say something to me and I'm like, I don't, I can't explain it in Spanish. Like I don't have the language to articulate what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. And so I kind of think about it in that way. When I worked at the research lab, we did a intervention study we had two cohorts. So one of the cohorts got training on theory of mind. So the six main emotions, which at that time, I think were decided by this researcher card Eckhart. And it was like happy, sad, fear, surprise, anger, disgust were the six main emotions. And what we did is we actually did training on like, this is what happy looks like. This is what sad looks like. And we'd show different faces. 
And then we train on the difference between someone being an asshole and someone being sarcastic because there's a difference between the two. Then we test, you know, in the middle and at the end of uh, their recognition. And the patients got better. You know, the goal is to help them function better, like to have a job, to have friendships, to be able to interact better with their physicians and their family. And I thought maybe to some people that seems silly, like I don't need to be trained on what emotions are, but we all do. Like, I learned from you, I learned from my friends and family and strangers, like, how does this person experience sadness? How does that person experience happy? Like, anger isn't a negative or positive emotion. It is. And when people are feeling different emotions, they can be catalysts for change and growth and success. You know, if people are able to articulate how they're feeling and then be able to share. So then when we ask someone, like, how are you feeling? It's like, yeah, I had a stressful day. I'm kind of feeling sad. And so now I'm going to like go get a beer with a friend or smoke a joint with a friend or go to the gym or go hang out with my mom, like whatever it is, or dad. And then they know I've been able to share how I'm feeling and then I can do something about it. Or if I'm happy, I'm going to like call a man and be like, I'm so stoked, like I'm living in Mexico, you know, and that interaction of sharing emotions is very primal to who we are as social animals. We're feeling beings that think. And if we can't feel ourselves, I think we're going to get really trapped and like really affected by disease too. Because our body is, is speaking its own language to us, our emotions, physically our bodies. And it's really not that crazy to be attuned. The social norm to be not attuned is actually crazy to me that we accept that, like you said earlier, like this is just how I am. And as children, we are so imaginative and we want to learn. I've experimented with psychedelics. I'm a huge proponent of like supporting maps and John Hopkins and NYU's and the study they're doing on psychedelics. And I've heard a few people say like kids like are like on psychedelics. You know, they're seeing the world and all these different colors and experiences. And at what point in American culture do we say like, stop doing that? Stop learning, stop growing, stop saying, I'm sad, I'm tired, I'm happy, I'm exuberant. Like, that's how kids are. They express the full gamut of emotions. And at some point we say, that's not acceptable to men. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, the trend is like indifference or ignorance, right? And that's just something that you start leaning towards because that's a form of protection. It's weird because I feel like amongst a lot of men, it's like that fear of vulnerability as someone can use that to someone else's advantage and that you're, you're losing out with that rather than actually knowing the power of your vulnerability. Because I think a lot of women are aware of the power of their vulnerability. I mean, just as much as laughter is contagious, crying is contagious. And we're taught that crying is a weakness. And then, you know, we, we hold all those emotions in and we only choose certain emotions that are acceptable, like laughter or happiness or all of the good stuff. And any of the bad stuff is like, why is there even a good and a bad feeling? Like feelings should just be feelings that pass and accepting that and realizing that there is no problem with that. I think it's, it's been insane because no one talks about that. Like it's not even like boys don't cry anymore. It's just like, why can't we just cry literally at any point in time? And I think only recently have I experienced like happy tears or like just other types of tears, you know what I mean? And then be able to express that with more people. And again, that's contagious. And then like giving that space and allowing that flow of different emotions and that there is no, I'm right, you're wrong. This is good. This is bad anymore. I think that is, that's the the main issue of society of like deeming 
what is and what isn't versus just like allowing people to express themselves freely. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, girl, I totally agree. And for myself, I have had a lot of masculine energy. And I remember the first time I went to therapy, I was pre-grad school. I was in a really bad car accident with some friends. And when I was driving past the, the crash scene, I was blacking out. And so it was quite dangerous for me. And so I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to somebody about this. This is not healthy. My body is under a lot of stress and this is the way that it's coping. And I remember her saying to me, I, I saw her for two years. She's like, I've seen this beautiful blossoming of like your feminine energy and feeling more okay crying and feeling like this expression of happy tears and sad tears. It was a very beautiful thing. Neither of my parents cried often, and they're both beautiful humans, but they didn't express a lot of emotion. And I'm actually getting emotional in a beautiful way thinking about this, but um, I met this great woman here in Mexico, and she was telling me this story the other night, and she was crying, and I was crying with her. Like It was really attuned to how she was feeling, and it it felt so beautiful to more deeply connect with her aside from just empathizing and listening. And it felt very natural to me. And it was like, wow, I just love growing as a human. <laughs> right. And I think what's been wild, especially with mental health, is like, I'm a little bit disappointed that what is shared is always pain. You know, like, oh, I sympathize with your pain or I can relate to your pain or your pain. I can feel that energy, you know, trauma can be projected onto someone else, right? And it's all about that pain and that struggle. And it's like, oh, now we come together by sharing all of that. But that's only one emotion and the negative one of all things, right? And you have to really build that resilience to be like, okay, I'm going to move from there. And I think there's just this trend in mental health that like, okay, I'm going to take this huge tragedy and turn it into this blossoming, beautiful thing. And it's inconceivable to do that because that isn't the case. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more that just acceptance And there will be a whole group of different types of emotions that are going to come through that, not just pain, right? And I think we're just like zoning in on that and being like, oh, you have to like express all of your pain and then burn it out and like whatever the whole context is. And of course, who's who's going to be like, yeah, let me sign me up for that shit. And I think that's been the the main like taboo, especially like if you want to be like super masculine in that sense, be like, no way, my like burning sage and my pain away and whatever this context is, right? When it's actually literally just daily check-ins of, hi, you have all of these emotions that exist in you, some higher and some lower, sure. But Mm -hmm. I think it's the same way, like you can't get any progress with anything without tracking it. I agree. And eventually people will, I call it fire cue, hopefully. You know, men will become self-aware enough that maybe they don't need the app anymore. But then I started thinking, okay, the men who become what I'll call sages can share their knowledge will actually become ambassadors inside of the app. And we'll have groups where men can communicate there and they can like have groups with their guy friends and here and can share their like improvements and downgrades. Um, Cause I think that's missing. There's like some Facebook groups, there's coaching groups. I just think the more communities we have where men feel like they can go and talk about all the emotions, like you said, not just like the negative ones, but all of them and not calling them negative or positive, just saying like, I'm feeling stoked today on life. Like this is what happened. I'm feeling shitty or my mood's kind of eh. Creating more spaces like that, I think is important. 
important and making sure that the people that are there are genuine, you know, if the people eventually, the men that become ambassadors in Kilo, and if we go in that direction, are actually people that want to love more. And at the core of what I want to do, I, one of my friends said, you're a tech hippie. Like you really want tech, the foundation of tech to be love people 10% more. Like that's an easy way to start. Like when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, okay, be 10% braver and love people 10% more. And when I feel like I'm being judgmental or I feel like I'm being an asshole, I'm like, love someone 10% more today. And we don't do that enough. And as silly as maybe it sounds, or as hippie as it maybe sounds, like if we did that, the fucking world would change. And if we stopped competing to be the alpha in any business or any relationship, I think it could be a really beautiful thing. And it's not going to happen overnight. I think it will take our lifetimes and beyond. But I think if more tech companies at their core consider loving people, loving their customers, talking about loving people, (laughs) it could really make a huge impact. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's wild taking tech as a space to encourage that kind of intimacy among humans because tech can go both ways. It can be used to turn us into robots. It can turn us less of humans. At the same time, it can connect us to the rest of the world. Think of where we are now during a pandemic and able to communicate with each other from all around the world. There is that access and to use that access for good, to promote that love. I think that will really save the world. And tech has that gift to do so. And it really depends on how we use that gift. It's lovely to hear that that's the direction you're taking, because usually, I mean, if you think of Silicon Valley and everything like that, just like there's money everywhere. So it's so easy to corrupt that message and change what people might use that power for. Yeah, I was on a call this week with a tech company and not for Kilo, for another business that I'm looking at currently. And the company was like, we have aggressive goals and we need to hit these numbers. And I thought to myself, this word aggressive doesn't go with goals. Aggressive is usually like uh, something that kicks in the fight or flight response. Why are we accepting this? And this is a Silicon Valley company. And I'm like, we gotta change this. And it's a company that I like and a woman that I've worked with. And I thought that's coming from the top down. It's coming from the top down that, you know, we have these aggressive goals. And what that says to me is, you got to work more hours or, oh, we'll give you no meeting Fridays, but we're going to jam up Monday through Thursday because, oh, you don't, you, we don't take meetings on Fridays anymore. It's like, is that actually what the employees want? And I think women's psychology is unfortunately catching up to men in that space where women now are getting burnt out in work because they're working just as much as men. And I think we also have to flip that narrative that it doesn't have to be a 40, 60, 100 hour work week if someone's being productive. And I think a lot of companies have seen that through the pandemic, that someone ought to be able to work when they feel like they can get the job done and do it well, because I think that's really going to increase productivity. It's going to increase love in the workplace. And then that's going to spill over into a lot of other industries because tech really leads a lot of narratives in the U.S. You know, we have multi-billionaires who are leading tech innovation. And 
I don't hear them say in their WWDCs or launch events, like love people 10% more. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what we're trying to do with our product. It's not wild. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think we don't focus on love as a goal. You know, we focus on happiness, success, productivity, all of those other things that are material gains. Whereas if we focused on loving more, we would receive so much more love in return instead of this push for aggressive behaviors and that alpha male language of like, this is what the best life is, the strong, powerful, authoritative life. But where does that take you? It takes you to loneliness, uncertainty, fear. Every movement you make is out of fear of losing that power and authority and success. Mm -hmm. And love comes in all different ways. You know, I've met friends here that are men and I tell them, I'm like, I love you. I'm so happy we're friends. And they're like, I love you too. You know, and it takes a moment. I'm like, I, the love that I have with my friends is different than the love that I have with lovers and my family. And the more I share that, the more I love myself too and the more I can love other people around me and it informs the way I interact with people. Loving people at 10% more doesn't mean accepting assholes. It doesn't mean accepting people that, yeah, are just not matching in energy. It means being able to say, I love you and that hurt my feelings or I love you and the way you said that was kind of shitty or I love you and you're amazing you know whatever that emotion is and saying I love you to me never I'll never get burnt out of saying it because when I die which I will at some point I don't want to have any regrets that I didn't say to my mother my father to you to my friends that I love them. My grandma recently died, my dad's mom, and she was 92 or 93, and she had a nice life. She lived in Hawaii. Like, my dad brought her closer to him. And my dad has really had this beautiful transformation of becoming more emotionally insightful. And he and I talk about it. And my grandma had another stroke, and he called me a few weeks ago. And he's like, You know, grandma's in the hospital. Oh, sorry, he texted me. He didn't call me, he texted me. So I called him. I was like, You're texting me about death okay, but this is one way, this is one path. And I picked up the phone, I called him, I was like, how are you doing, dad? He's like, I'm stressed, but I'm here in the hospital with grandma. And I said, okay, well, can I say goodbye to her? And um, got on the phone, I did this with my grandpa, her partner too, and he died many years ago. And I said, hi, grandma. She couldn't talk, she was on the ventilator. I'm like, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being a wonderful person in my life. And you know, we had our ups and downs and he said goodbye. And then my dad and I talked for a few moments and he hung up and I felt that she died. And then he texted me, he's like, grandma died after you talked to her. I think that was really beautiful. And just knowing that saying it isn't scary. Like I wish being vulnerable was the norm, not saying like, you're being vulnerable. Like that's not for me. And death in the U.S. is filled with a lot of fear when people think about death. And I think that's quite fascinating too, is like moving the needle in mental health and also talking about death, because I think the more comfortable we come with our own finality, 
my personal opinion, the more we can just be like, I'm giving it all. Like I'm giving all my love. I'm gonna open up and not be, not be misguided in vulnerability, not like oversharing, so to say, with someone that's a stranger, but really actively listening to the other person and being like, what's important to you, Amanda? And listening in a way that's not thinking, oh, what can I say next? How can I, you know, show that I'm just as good or just as valued as a human? It's just to be curious in conversation. And for me, that's one way that I love people is just asking questions. Like when you and I've talked, you know, I think about like, why do you like doing this? Why do you love doing this and talking to men? Because that helps us connect on a deeper level and, and feel more love for each other. It's crazy how much parents would hide stories of death from children as in to protect themselves and like everything is out of that fear and protection and defense when it should just be acceptance because eventually we're going to all grow up and learn the truth and the the longer Mm -hmm. we try to hide and protect people we remove them of their own responsibility to take control of their own lives we end up clipping everyone else's wings out of our own desire to protect so badly and i think that is the complication Mm -hmm. where did we develop that need to shield everybody for their sake. And what, what's beautiful and sad at the same time is it's all with the best intentions in mind, which is delivered in such a destructive way. And then we end mm-hmm. up building all this resentment, right? Yeah. And, and people die and then people have so much regret and they're tortured by the regret of like, I didn't say the things I wanted to say. And I'm not risk averse, I'm regret averse. So more important to me to not regret saying how I feel to someone than risking being vulnerable. It's not the most comfortable sometimes. I get butterflies. I'm like, oh, I don't know how this person is gonna receive what I'm saying. But the majority of the time, the person is right there with me like, wow, thank you for sharing that. Or I don't understand, like, tell me more. And we get to dive deeper into the conversation and be more curious about each other. Mm -hmm. I want to wrap up with one question to you. I think it's really interesting that we're both named Amanda. We're both women that are making a movement (laughs) with men's mental health and we're not men. And I think it's an interesting contrast because of the work that I used to do with women's empowerment movements. And it's like, if you're not a woman, you don't understand. And it's very aggressive in that movement for change. How do you think women can help men in understanding more about their mental health and showing them a way to intimacy? Well, one way is to do this, is to be two women talking about men's mental health and for men to, fingers crossed, hopefully watch this and not be like, oh, it's two women telling men what to do. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is to say, here's an open door and we want to be facilitators, uh, conduits rather, to help men with their mental health. And we all have teachers along the way, or we all have people that come to help guide us, to make us a little better, a little stronger, to look in the mirror a little longer. And I think women can do that because our psychology and what we've been taught through our social narratives are like, that's okay for women. So I think men's psychology can catch up to women's psychology in that space. And for men to not see it as a weakness. When I think about warriors thousands of years ago, they talked about how they felt before and after war. 
or like, okay, I feel strong, I feel ready, like these are my tactics. And when they were wounded, they were wounded and they talked about being wounded warriors. For some reason, that's not often talked about in American culture. It's like, oh, man up, like, yeah, get it, warrior. Like, you don't talk about your feelings. But I think if we really study the history of warriors, I read a lot about samurais as well, is that they had this beautiful masculine and feminine energy. Absolutely. I just want to ask one more question in relation to that. On the one hand, there is that complication of men, you know, trying to accept that movement and change and desire for change. On the other hand, what would you say for women to approach conversations with men about intimacy differently? I think I already myself had to go through a lot of change to be less aggressive, to not expect change overnight, to understand first before trying to be understood. And that took a lot out of me. I battled myself in order to get that change. Because if I'm going to say, hey, I want change, I have to change first. And Mm -hmm. you won't get vulnerability unless you start with vulnerability. You won't get emotion unless you start with emotion, right? So everything you get, you have to give first. So what would you say to towards women that are struggling with intimacy with men, feeling that there is this conflict and they're just kind of butting heads in that way? I think women have to be more curious and very cautious of how we ask questions because the way you and I ask questions to each other is not often the way men like to be asked questions. So what I understand from the difference in brains and um, the guy, actually a friend of mine, um, did a PhD in neuroscience and looked at the differences in fMRI scanners of men's and women's brains and the neuroanatomy and function. Like there are actual differences. So to be aware of that and realize that for a lot of men, it's problem solving. The thinking is problem solving. So when we ask how are you feeling, it's like, what's the problem and how do I solve it? It does not compute. That's how women relate to each other. What I found to be helpful is if I want to understand how a man feels, I'll be like, can you describe it for me? If you feel really excited that you had completed something at work, how does that feel? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know how that feels. And I'm like, cool. So then when you're thinking about this topic or this interaction, like, can you describe to me how that feels? And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Kind of like building a bridge and really being curious about the other person and how they relate the feelings in their body to their logic. So a lot of, like with one of my good friends, he exercised a lot. He's an engineer, he went to MIT. And I've really learned that he likes to, he's really good at describing things to me and he breaks down things into like fundamental parts. So when I ask him sometimes, like, I don't say, how are you feeling? I'm like, what's going on with you? And I'll say, oh, this and that. I'll be like, and, and how, like, in your body, like, how did that feel? Did you feel stressed? Did you feel like you wanted to celebrate? And he's like, oh, yeah, I wanted to celebrate. And he smiled. And I'm like, oh, so you felt good about it. And he's like, yeah. Right. You know, it's helping to, like, facilitate that conversation because a lot of women get frustrated because they're using their own language. The last thing I'll say is, if people are familiar with the love languages, the five love languages, oftentimes when I used to see couples and they'd come in with some sort of like strife in their relationship, I would ask like, okay, how do you want to be, how do you like to be loved? And how do you like to be loved? And then I said, you can't love the other person the way you want to be loved. It just doesn't work like that. You have to learn the other person's love language and make a purposeful effort 
to love that person the way they want to be loved. And I think that's the same with asking them about how they feel. We want to do it the way we know how to do it and the mm-hmm. way we want to receive it, but that's not the way the other person necessarily does. And we have to really educate ourselves about the other person. Yeah, absolutely. You need that patience, right? And then, like, there's no point in speaking two separate languages. We're going to get nowhere. And that's the only way, like, somebody's got to give. And I do think that does begin with women because women have had the access already. They've cultivated their own language. And you're right. There needs to be that bridge to kind of get everyone else across for that change to begin. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share about Kilo? Any news or upcoming updates um, that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, thanks for asking. So if you identify as a male and are interested in testing out Kilo, the website is kilo.com. We are about to launch to a alpha group of men to see if this thing has legs and then launching an MVP probably in about three months. So if you want to sign up for that, kilo.app. And then we're going to host a men's mental health event in May. A friend of mine and I are going to work together on this event, have a few speakers, so more info coming there. And then in December, we're going to host the first men's mental health conference. Yes, for men only, women have lots of conferences on their own, and I think it's time for men to have one as well. Wow, that's amazing. I can't believe that's the first one, and it's 2021. That's ridiculous. And if anyone's listening and they want to speak or help in some way, um, that'd be great. You can email me, Sunday at Kilo.app. And yeah, thank you for listening. Of course. Thank you. This has been great. If you are interested in learning more, make sure to check out Kilo.app and sign up for updates. Kilo is also hosting its first ever men's mental health event. And you can tune in on May 7th from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. PST to hear from a couple people that will share their stories of homelessness, depression, therapy, psychedelics, self-improvement, and so much more. And I have the link in the description of the podcast for you guys to check it out.